You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals and I am in probably one of the coolest music rooms that I know of. Um, And sitting in another swivelly chair that might creak while we record is... Michael Robinson. That is Michael Robinson. Um, Michael Robinson and I have been friends for probably the last... How long have we been friends? Uh, Eight-ish? Ish? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and so he used to actually teach at the school that I um, currently teach at. Our time at this school didn't really overlap. Um, but there was zero overlap. There was zero. Not just not really. Not, not not even. Okay. So let's be scientifically precise in that there was zero overlap in our time at this school. It would have been Um, glorious. But his, um, he actually worked with my wife for a little bit. Um, and he was a science teacher at the school. Bum, bum, bum. But here's the thing. He doesn't teach at the school anymore. And he is actually crossed over into the dark territory of public school. Again. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, um, so Michael, um, since joining public school, how many um, exorcisms have you had to do? Just this year, or are we talking about the last seven years I've been Like, there? if you could average and say, like, annual four. average. What is the mean? Four. The <laughs> mode is different, but awesome. four. Okay, so um, clearly we're in jest, but I think that with um, – when we're talking about one being a science teacher and everybody I feel like everybody already knows that being a science teacher is very not Christian because um, Christians don't believe in science but uh, two moving into the public school world is like that's the scary place that we tell kids from Christian school not to go because it's bad and people are going to be um, doing dirty things um, on their bus on the way to the dances, and they're going to be doing drugs in class um, and all of that. Um, so there are stories to validate those things. <laughs> so it's not too far off. It's just not like it's all of them that are doing that. Awesome. Okay. So okay. So I'm I was mostly being sarcastic, but that's really <laughs> funny. Um, but I guess the first thing I, I would just want to ask is what is. Like, what is different? If you had to say, okay, this is the biggest shift for me in leaving a Christian school and working in a public school as a science teacher, what has been, like, that big – what is, the like, the standout shift for you? First of all, I mean, there's multiple multiple facets in the things I'm doing. So I'm thinking pedagogically. I'm thinking, like, classroom management-wise. And then just, like, overall teaching of science. All three of those are different. Okay. Biggest shift, when you say that, made me not even think of science teaching. It made me just think of going from classes of, like, 26 as the biggest to my first class that was overflowing at 43 and walking in thinking, oh, man. Yeah, I can – I'm Michael Robinson. I can, I can handle this. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to it at this point. But that was the biggest shift is dealing with that. Yeah, and you uh, say at this point, so how long have you been in public school, and how long did you spend working in private school? So I did Christian school for nine years, Okay, and this is year seven at public school. Oh, wow. Yeah, almost yeah. even. Almost, yeah. I'll get there. Okay, so so we have bigger classroom sizes. Um, what else is different? Uh, the discipline issues are significantly different. I remember reading uh, in my credential program about discipline issues at private school versus public school. Number huh. one at private school being... Like they talk a lot (laughs) and now I'm, you know, we already this year we've dealt with, this is school wide and there's almost 2000 students at our, at our school. We've dealt with at least 22 suspensions for drug use. Oh, wow. Um, 
and yeah, just different discipline issues. There's not a lot of tagging and things like that that go on. Uh, not many gang issues at the the private school either. And so okay. yeah. yeah, just dealing with different things discipline wise. Um, but I, you know, I kind of embrace that. Yeah. So science wise, I think the the. Wait, wait, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You you said you embrace that. Like, what is it, what is that like for you? What does that mean? Because for me, I feel like that would be like a big shock for me, and I don't I wouldn't know how to process that. But yeah. like. So it, you've come to a place where you're like, okay, this is part of my, this is part of what I do. This like, is life. Yeah. Okay. This is my life. I embrace, I embrace that like, through the stress and everything. Like this is my life that I get to do. Hmm. Um, ironically, a big shift between private school and public school was learning grace hmm. and how to exude that to my students, which one would think at a Christian school would be easy because it's God, God, God all the time. Now it's, I feel like a lot easier. In fact, sometimes a stress reliever for some of those more difficult classes to, to just give my kids food, candy, mm. et cetera, when they haven't turned their homework in for three weeks. Yeah. And so hopefully they see that and recognize it, but they're also 14 years old. So they, they probably don't. <laughs> yeah. So I give grace for me. Selfish grace. Is that a thing? No. You're a pastor. You should know this. Nah, I don't know. I don't know anything. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, and then you were going to go into like scientifically. So yeah. that, so I, th I think that's another thing too, like, uh, you know, just in when I was teaching and the newness of all of that and now being as, you know, seasoned, um, understanding what science education looks like, mm. but, you know, teaching science at a, at a private school, it's fun in, in the sense of getting to give credit to God for the beauty and the wonder mm. and the glory of, you know, structure and function is what we would call it right now, but yeah. just design not an appearance of design but design like yeah hey you guys most of you buy into this and hey how cool is this that god did all this stuff for right. us in the public sector it's a little bit more uh questioning to get to that um hmm. like i said structure and function and then asking questions like whoa well, how could this have magically mysteriously have turned out just like this and yeah. they're like that's a great question robinson Okay, I guess we're moving on from from that. Awesome. I don't want have to get you, fired. Have Have you had any of those moments where like there's been a theist in the class that like posits that and like actually out loud says, "Oh, could it be God?" Or yeah, and that's super fun because uh, I I realized recently, and I didn't think this was true because I'm so I don't know if I'm so gracious, but have I feel like I maybe I fooled myself that my actions uh, speak louder than my words do and. Yeah, this this year especially, I've had some interactions with students where um, they they're very outspoken about their faith, hmm. and it's kind of fun because I can then ask really leading questions that get them to be like, "Hey, what do you think about this stuff? What do you actually believe?" And I'm like, "Hey, that's so. I I am a Christian, and so here's the things that I believe." And they're like, "What? You can't? No, you're a science teacher. This isn't. Yeah. You can't do that." That's like, awesome. One kid this year. Someone asked a faith-based question, and one kid who was loud just yelled, he doesn't know that stuff. He's an atheist. And I'm like, why would you assume that I'm an atheist? <laughs> well, you can tell by your beard. That. Actually, no, beard is more Christian. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, that's, it's gaining uh, holy notoriety. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so do you get – is that assumption often made with your students that, like, because you're the science teacher, um, that therefore you're not a Christian? I didn't think that was true. A lot of my students um, would identify themselves as Catholic. Okay. And a lot of them, um, I mean, the, the, the local churches have a lot of presence on campus, too. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't think that they did. 
And this year, like I said, especially there's been a couple moments, um, like I was telling you before, the girl I talked to was my student, not for biology, but for another class that I teach. Um, she's a junior this year. She, she stopped herself before asking me to pray for her tennis match. And she was, she was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess you're not going to pray. And I was like, well, why? She's like, because you teach science. So I know that you're <laughs> basically playing for the other team. And I'm like, oh, why? Oh, I taught at Christian school for nine years. I taught Bible for six yeah. years. And she was kind of surprised, like, well, I don't know how you can do that. You teach science, too. Hmm. So just a quick discussion of, like, no, they can they can be the, the um, integrated. Um, so what was the difference between the science classes that you took while you were at public school versus the science classes that you take here at Christian school? Um, the teacher was generally um, not as receptive to Christianity as the teachers here are um, at this private school because this is a Christian school. Um, at the public school, um, the teacher was like a firm believer in evolution and I got into a big argument with her about it because she was like telling me that like evolution is real and like the creation theory, like she called it a theory, isn't real. And that really pissed me off because, <laughs> because I'm a Christian and I believe that God created the world and that evolution is, isn't really a part of it. Um, we talked a lot about evolution last year because it was biology um, and just like the creation of life and how it um, evolved to now and like all the different theories of like natural selection. Um, and how physics came to be and all that stuff. So is that is that different than here at Christian school? Or? Yeah, it's more based on, um, like, to me, it kind of seemed like we are, like, gods, you know? Like, we evolved and we're that awesome that we made everything how it is. And compared to, like, creation here, it's like God created everything. Okay, so when, I feel like, okay, that's a common assumption made often, like, and even in the, like, the public space, like, the, the stupid tagline is, like, science versus religion, right? Um, where, where do you see this coming from? Because, I mean, you're in the public school science classroom where you are teaching science, you're teaching things, um, and clearly not um, overtly integrating, like, God into the science classroom, right? Otherwise, yeah. you get fired. So, like, where do you do you feel like this divide, like, comes up more as, like, a, an assumption on the church's side, or is it more on the side of the scientific community, or is it in the classroom? Like, where where do you feel like that's, that's coming from? Like, that students kind of automatically, and not even just students, but their parents as well, like, automatically assume that science and religion, not compatible. If you're a scientist, you're probably not a theist. Yeah, you should probably do the research to figure that out. That's, no, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I feel like if we could figure that out, that would solve, that would solve some issues. Yeah. I want to say history, not mm -hmm. history teachers, but like history in general has been a, an issue with that. So, you know, uh, films like um, Expelled kind of yeah. tried to dispel things mm -hmm. like that. But when we get to really like the interconnection between faith and science and why there would be a disconnect and being able to support it from a, a science side where God may not exist. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's at the college level, the high school level. Like we teach magic science yeah. 
And not to <laughs> not to say that we're not doing good jobs in, in high school, but I mean, our job is to prep them to get to college to be able to do the higher order thinking. Right. I love that your show usually talks about prefrontal cortex. And right. you know, yeah, their prefrontal cortexes can't handle some of these things. Yeah. Sorry, cortices. Um, they can't handle these things. <laughs> and so it's it's finding out how do you engage students in conversation about metaphysical things when your job is to teach them mm. physical things. But as far as history of that, uh, yeah, I think it just stems back. And it, it right now might be actually facilitated more by church than it is by school. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like um, when talking to... Uh, like in the few occasions that I've had to like actually have interactions or conversations with um, people who are self-professed atheists who know anything about science, oftentimes they'll appeal to methodological naturalism. Like if you're going to be a scientist, you need to you need to be a methodological naturalist, meaning that you can only in your research you can only consider naturalistic explanations for things. And so, like, I feel like oftentimes in apologetics, one of the things that people say is they'll talk about philosophical naturalism, this idea that there is nothing that exists beyond the natural realm. Um, and I think that in, in times I've, like, thrown out to some atheists, like, oh, okay, so you're a philosophical naturalist. And they would, like, push back and say, no, I'm not a philosophical naturalist. I'm a methodological naturalist. Um, as a good scientist, I just need to look at the data and do my work and only draw like the naturalistic conclusions, um, which I've real like at, at first I was like, okay, well, how do I respond to that? Um, but you respond that, by saying no one actually does that. <laughs> I dare you to find research where no one has some sort of bias. Right. Any for real hypothesis comes from some sort of background research. Yeah, where there's going to be, I mean, you're predicting what's going to happen in this research, yeah. and then you try to find data to use as evidence to support a hypothesis or you don't so right. you can't just be like all i did was like a ping pong or not a ping pong ball uh, a pinball i just hit a bunch of things and found data and what it supports this yeah so, um my students are not mature enough to understand nuances like that I, I can't even i can't even start to to do that Got and, it. and maybe that's one of the things that at, at private school I, I thought that maybe they could handle hmm. things like that and maybe overwhelm them where they were just like teach science robinson and shut up we'll see you in bible next year yeah <laughs> uh, whereas now I've realized they, they can't handle that. My, my first year at public school, I was, I was gung ho. I was like, God has brought me here. My purpose is to evangelize to the masses and I am going to make changes. Meaning mm. everyone who I come in contact with is going to become a Christian. And right. And like, hooray, Robinson converted. All right. Yeah. And I, I can't even pull that off in the Bible class in no, Christian no, no. school. So I thought that, that was going to happen. Uh, you know, just excitement. Redemption. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I talked to the Christian club and I, I went through Kalam with them and they they just looked at me like we just want to give candy out and hugs. Why would <laughs> why would you why would you do this? Yeah. So, yeah. Nuances like that. They don't they don't show up. There's very few times where I can talk to students who who grasp different things like that. A lot of times with my older students that I teach. Uh, or if they come back, we can have some good conversations. But just recently I had a conversation with one of my freshman girls, and she was talking in the front of the classroom about um, how God can't exist. And, I mean, she was she was kind of smart about her, her end goals where she's like, yeah, if God doesn't exist, then when we die, we're dead. And mm -hmm. the kids around him are like, don't you care about where you're going? She's like, no, because I'll be dead. 
And I was like, hey, actually, like, at least you're consistent. Yeah, that's, it's that's, intellectual consistency. Yeah. yeah. So I started talking to her about um, how, you know, with natural research, you find natural questions. And mm. so it's really difficult to, to, to support uh, the existence of God with just naturalism. You have to move on to philosophy. Right. And I can't remember the way that I worded it. And she just looked at me and laughed and was like, I don't understand anything you just said. <laughs> It's like, okay, awesome. I'm going to go take care of that problem over there and then come back to see how your conversation is going. Yeah, awesome. Okay. So I feel like that's really important, though, um, I guess for us to understand, because especially as secondary education people, I think sometimes, even in like my Bible class, I, I feel like, okay, I just spent a week and a half explaining the Kalam and all the potential objections to it and then thinking, like, this is airtight, like, there's not going to be any objections to God's existence ever again. Um, but, like, noting that even if they can pass a multiple-choice quiz or even if they can explain the absurdity of an infinite regress, like, doesn't necessarily correlate to they're going to, like, existentially understand what's going on or, like, what life is about or the existence of God. And... and I think maybe even in your talking, one of the things that kind of surfaced for me is this idea of, like, what if, I don't know, like, these default modes that people, like, come into the classroom with, mm -hmm. um, like, that even those, the assumptions of, like, science versus religion, if they're, like, totally not intellectually based, then there's, like, no real clear understanding of the origins of that idea, like, they're coming in with it like from a kind of a visceral level, like whether it was from like enculturation or like from their parents talking to them a certain way or for something, something they heard on an ad on TV at one point, like that, that they come in pre-wired and pre-programmed with kind of some of this stuff. And I don't know, our instruction doesn't, not, not that it doesn't make a difference, but it, that, that the difference that we think we're making is probably not the difference that we think we're, that we're making. I hear you saying we should quit and f do something else. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's that's really tough. And when I feel like uh, as a mature educator, you start to realize that your impact has a, a, a narrow, narrow, narrower reach than you hmm. think and hope that it does. I tell my students that. Like, I'm just straight up with them. And I say, hey, you guys, this is what I want you to do. This is you, I, I want you to leave this classroom uh, thinking different than when you came in. And when you come back, I want you to remember the things that, that changed. Like, what opinions mm -hmm. changed? What were your preconceived notions that you came in with? And, and even in a just an acad straight academic sense, we can do the same thing. Like, they come in with a preconceived notion of history, of English, of science, of math. And then our jobs as educators is to direct them to the the right way of what it actually is the problem mm -hmm. is is these guys and maybe it's because i have a magic door at my school but they walk out and like just everything instantly goes back to preconceived notions mm -hmm. um, and not for all of them but it's that training and that practice and, and the repeating and you know we see the, the nice thing is is when i go and i visit uh, classrooms for my other position to see some seniors that i've had in the past and how they're closer to being like human and <laughs> they can engage in conversation and I can talk at them for 10 minutes about college goals and they're not interrupting me and, and giggling at fart jokes and things yeah. like that. Uh, it's really nice to see that, that it's the, it's the continuing of doing that. It's, right. it's them learning that, Hey, my preconceived notions might be wrong. They might be wrong. They are. Wrong. Oh, there's something new. Right. And a lot of it is family. Like you said, um, and I deal with a culture that uh, there's some studies years ago that had showed that that like this particular culture does not care for science much. And so I'm breaking through that as well. Um, mm. I deal with a lot of um, 
doesn't science say this? And I'm like, no, that's wrong right now. Check it out. Yeah. And the nice thing is I have computers in my class. Yeah. So they're like, they don't believe me unless they want to believe me. Uh-huh. And then when I tell them something that is contrary to what they want to believe, they're like, no, you must be wrong. I'm like, fine, just check the internet. Like even Wikipedia is going to have this one right. Right. Uh, so, so just go for it. But I, I think you're right. It's about changing their preconceived notions mm. and the, the repetitiveness of doing that. They, they leave and are able to form their own ideas based on that foundation. So don't stop teaching those things because it's going to be helpful. Right. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's even one of the things that I've learned over the years, even in the Bible classroom, is that the difference that I think I'm making is not the one that's actually being made, but there is like I am actually making a difference. Um, it's usually like four years later that a student comes back and says, hey, that one lesson that you did on blank, like radically changed the way I think about this because of that. And I'm like, I totally didn't mean to say that. Um, and, and you have no feeling. So it's not like you're shedding a tear from that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't even remember saying this. I don't. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't my conclusion, but that's a good conclusion. So awesome. Great job. Yeah. Cause, cause I feel like there's like there, we communicate something. Um, and, and oftentimes we're successful and they receive what we communicate. If we do good assessment along the way and get like feedback from them and assess their learning and adapt and all that. You sound like you have a master's degree, <laughs> but then like, uh, but still there's like there's their lived experience and how what we're saying is going to tap into their like their prior knowledge and not just their prior knowledge, but their prior experiences, their prior, um, I guess, assumptions, their prior um, emotional state. And then like it's going to do something different for each student. And so like we do have like a big role, but I, I think that sometimes we try to like engineer what's going to happen in the classroom and then like it ends up pr producing a totally different fruit. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean that. Yes. But that's, that's stress. Yeah. Like when you feel like I'm going to do this thing that I've engineered and it, you like, you don't get the product that you're looking for. Mm. Uh, that is stress. At least yeah. for me that is. And so I, I've relaxed in the classroom a lot because I realized like, I, I mean, I love on the fly organic things anyway, and I'm usually the guy in my uh, my course for for biology that that is behind because I'm like eh, it'll happen and I'm like wait I'm in charge of these guys I need to be <laughs> ahead what is happening and yeah. so I gotta then I stress out a little bit more where I'm just like okay kids we have to finish now and forget about learning just finish so like sometimes I even forget yeah. about what the the reality is but you you'd mentioned I mean the preconceived notion things I'm dealing with eighth grade plus students and. So it's tough because their preconceived notions based on like just the, where their brain has been and their experience, mm. it, it's not, I don't want to say it's not like elementary school has done anything for them. They're just at a, such a different level that to take their thoughts and try to train them for now pre-college, like that, we're, that's a whole different level. Yeah. And so if I try to tap into their prior knowledge, there's five kids that are like, we, we talked about cells like two years ago, right? And the kids are like, that was last year, Billy. So... <laughs> Yes, they have some prior knowledge, but I, I just assume they don't yeah. and not in a negative way. Right. Uh, but I just assume they don't and, and try to give them the knowledge that they will need in order to do the things that I want them mm. to do. And I present my classes. We're not doing we're not doing biology. We're we're solving problems, yeah. which is we're just science. That's what we want to do with science. Yeah. Solve problems. Right. So as a Christian school science teacher of, what, physics and bio, um, how do you think your teaching would change if you taught in a public school? Um, 
so in, in the public school, you got to separate the whole uh, church and state situation. So um, it would really only change um, the direct messages I have towards uh, Christian uh, viewpoints or, or sharing my own personal faith. Uh, the actual teaching process, um, there isn't a whole lot in the physics realm that conflicts with uh, me being a Christian school teacher. Uh, but in the biology department, uh, that is where everyone kind of focuses in on the whole battle of evolution and everything. Um, and I still teach evolution in a Christian school setting. Um, and then I teach my own viewpoint. So if I had to switch to a secular situation, um, my teaching on the first day would probably be the exact same. Whereas moving on from there, and sharing my own personal viewpoints and how I kind of fit the Christian ideology into what I've seen in the scientific world and kind of rationalize both of those together um, would have to be on the basis of student interaction. Like, students would have to come to to me after class to actually have me be able to dive into those, um, which is sad, but at the same time, that's one of the greatest joys of being in a Christian school is I get to already share or already have the whole plan that I get to, hey, I get to show my whole or share and and teach my whole viewpoints and how I can rationalize uh, Christianity and scientific viewpoints. Okay, so the framework that we start with is we're looking at a system, multiple systems, that when you analyze them, you can tell that they were created. You can tell they had a cause. So we can take a step backwards and go, well, what was that cause? And obviously science, popular science has theories. Mm -hmm. They have ideas, um, but some of their ideas don't have good evidence. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna start big. Um, The big picture is when we're looking at things like energy systems. Um, I like to introduce the Kalam into the classroom so that when they study these systems, they've got that thought in the back of their mind going, wait, no. So the universe itself or even um, plants, animals, or myself, they're so complex. I had a cause. These plants were caused by the genetic layout that was in their DNA. Those kind of things. And when you move into another idea such like evolution i don't mind talking about evolution like obviously we see adaptation within species on a global scale but when we start to get distracted and look at like phylogenetic trees or common ancestry the genetic layout doesn't add up we don't ever see non-living things give way to living things. Um, and we could talk about how that contradicts the laws of thermodynamics, things that we can prove again and again. Yeah. To me, getting distracted in that realm can do a lot of harm. And then if we bring it down to a personal level, um, one thing I like to stress to the students um, is that they were made on purpose for a purpose. Mm-hmm. So I start my year by reading Psalms 139 over them, just reaffirming that, hey, you were here, you were planned, even if mom and dad didn't have that on their radar, um, you were designed to make a difference in this world. Um, So you start on this larger picture and you work it back down to them. So hopefully those seeds are planted and they walk away knowing that, 
Yeah, there's a God. Have you ever considered teaching at a public school, or has it um, always been like, I know I want to teach at a Christian school thing? Uh, my original goal was to actually teach in public school. Um, how it worked out, it was uh, I was kind of applying everywhere. Um, a lot of the public schools didn't want to hire me out of the gate because I didn't have any experience yet, um, which is down. It was a bummer, really, because I had like three or four interviews that were like, hey, yeah, you're like perfect for the job, but we went with this guy because he's been teaching for 15 years. And I'm like, awesome. Um, but now that I've been here for a couple of years, uh, it's so enjoyable to be able to teach what you believe. Um, to the point where I don't think I would want to be anywhere else. Um, it, it's, it's funny how God works where you're kind of pushed in one direction thinking that doors are really closing, but re in reality, you're, you're kind of where you're supposed to be. At this point, I haven't been called away. Yeah. And um, when I started this teaching journey, it was a total, like... God moment where he's like, athletic training is not your thing. You're meant to be a teacher. And I went, okay, whatever you have for me, I'll do it. And I kind of keep that same mindset of for each season, God has prepped me for what he needs me to do. And if he ever calls me into the public sector, then great. Um, I think I can still be me, be authentically in love with Jesus and have that translate into my classroom without being explicit. Okay, so in, in that answer, you kind of um, you kind of reference like pacing and all of that. And I, I think in, in Christian school, like we do have like curriculum guides and curriculum maps and we do have like we still have standards. And I know that like one of the things in Christian schools right now, especially with science, is like whether or not to conform to the NGSS because do it <laughs> because it some of the standards might be non-Christian or whatever. Um, but like. What, what has been the shift for you as far as your instruction in regards to, like, standards and, like, caring about, like, benchmarks and all of that? Because I feel like one of the things that circulated is, like, in public school, they just care about teaching to a test so they can get higher scores so that X, Y, Z. And in private school, you have a little bit more freedom to do whatever you want. Um, in your experience, how has that, like, played itself out? I'm just, man, the memories right now at this point. I... So this would be a super long answer. Okay, um, that's fine. Go. So first of all, background, Christian school. I for, for nine years I feel like the twice I was I finished the curriculum that I had set forth to finish. And so then we were dealing with the the CST the standards. Um, we didn't even take the CST test, but that's the standards that we would we would work with. And so like as far as like getting through them and, and the so language back in those days where we doing Terra Nova stuff? Uh, or something I, like I, that. I don't remember. Okay. All right. Keep I don't going. even think we were doing that at that point. There was some testing, but as far as like what I thought was my, like the expectations for me was to get these students through these standards. And the reason I thought that was the expectation had nothing to do with admin. It only had to do with, I went through credentialing and this is what they said good science teachers do. Right. So there were these standards and I said, okay, well I'm going to do it. And then I was given at first a book that was terrible, uh, over Christian, not enough uh, science. And it. then changed to a book that was all science and needed some supplement for some, some Jesus stuff in there. Right. Um, especially when it came to like creation stuff, I'm sure we'll get to that yeah. later. Um, and then enter public school, still doing CST testing. And yeah, at that point there were incentives for your students doing well on these tests. Mm. Um, and so the scores that the schools got, the, the AYP was all about how you improved with those scores. What does AYP? Something stand? annual 
yearly performance maybe i don't Got know it. there's so many acronyms i, I, I don't, don't know what it stands for yeah it's something like that there's probably not an ayp for bible N- no there is not <laughs> not that you know of yeah the holy spirit's like yes there is yeah <laughs> um so so enter public school and they were like hey michael teach teach these things basically to the test and we would have copies of the old test i would meet with district people that also taught mm. biology and we would we would tailor our assessments to be the same types of assessments and, and same types of questions, even previous or previous test questions from the previous years for the CSTs. And what I'm really, really good at is teaching to a test. Huh. So my first year, uh, my students did really, really well on all of their like eight assessments and mm. their CSTs. So I got incentives. Like I got a printer in my classroom because like we got the money for the incentives. <laughs> so, uh, then, gosh, was it two years after I started? I was invited to to do a program at Whittier College okay. um, with the HHMI Smart program, and it was all about intro into next generation science standards, which mm-hmm. for now on I would just say NGSS, um, which is a huge shift. So the idea was looking at K through twelve framework and changing it so it's more science, more depth to everything, as mm-hmm. opposed to like cover these things. So the language of the previous standards were our students will know dot, 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 and then a list of stuff that students will know, which was then just regurgitated on a multiple choice test. Right. Now everything is performance expectations, so students will be able to. Right. And then there are some what we would consider like old standards that are in there where it's like in, in the process of being able to do these things that are measured by X, Y, Z, and then double A, double B, double C, all these different things. Yeah. Uh, there's content measurements in there as well, in addition to cross-cutting concepts, which should be happening throughout all science classes and um, science and engineering practices. So all these things, it's called three-dimensional learning, where you weave in these disciplinary core ideas, cross-cutting concepts, and uh, science and engineering practices into every day. So it's much more science doing, hmm. less science knowing, and me and a coworker, who actually uh, you know as well, we get bothered when people are like, "Yeah, I covered this," and we're like, "Oh, that's old stuff. Are you doing this?" So anyway, yeah, I was introduced to this, and and kind of in a uh, getting thrown into the deep end of this, where I was actually asked to do research, like actual. You're back in college, have a hypothesis. Yeah. Here's chemicals and stuff. Do research, <laughs> and I did not have a good experience. Huh. It was it was terrible. I almost quit. Wow. Uh, the person who was in charge of the not science part, but the, the education part of that mm-hmm. program talked me into after three hours of talking into staying. And so the, the lesson that I learned from that is the frustration of learning science from students. Mm. But it also then empowered me to a, do another year and then to realize like, hey, science is important and i probably have been teaching science incorrectly because Mm -hmm. i've been just trying to get students to regurgitate things on a test yeah the problem with that is now the way that we're structuring our curriculum is a lot more reflective on our instruction Mm -hmm. and our and our actual like engineering of what that lesson is and so it's frustrating because we'll spend hours putting a lesson together because there's no textbook still yeah um and then it just tanks. <laughs> We're like, oh, <laughs> all of this time. Yeah. So it, it science curriculum in general has changed. And so mm-hmm. just my, the way that I even just process pedagogy has changed because of that experience. Mm. They came in and filmed me in my classroom, made me watch myself. 
mm. teach. And I'm sure if I listen, as I listen to this, I'm going to be like, dang, that's my voice. My students have to listen to that every day. They're <laughs> like, what did you notice in this film that you're doing? And I'm like, that my beard was shorter and my biceps were bigger. I don't like what else <laughs> do you want to, to say. Yeah. But it was, it was a great experience. And I feel like uh, because of that, I'm able to lead my course well and teach the students better and have more empathy towards them wanting to punch me in the face when I'm telling them to do science things. Yeah. And I feel like when, even, even in like the Bible classroom and I feel like most of the disciplines that's like, that's what we should be doing, right. Is not providing them with things that they can then regurgitate. Um, but then, but providing them with skills that they can actually apply in real life. Like even, even in like the Bible classroom, the last thing I would want them to do is be able to like regurgitate the Trinity, but then not like be able to interact with the Trinity um, or to be able to regurgitate, um, like, I guess, some sort of memory verse out of the Gospels, but then totally miss Jesus in the process, mm -hmm. right? Like, there should actually be some connection with real life. And I feel like that's, like, good teaching, right? Is, like, a, a accessing prior knowledge and then, like, developing that into the next phase and scaffolding for them to be able to not just, like, spew out things that you told them to spew out later on a piece of paper, but rather to, like, do stuff with it and actually change their life with it in, yeah. in a sense. And the way that they test for science now is completely different. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they say is like, Oh, after, after these years that they've taken this stuff, they should be able to do these things. And because a lot of it's related, like some of the, some of the stress is less because we're like, well, they're going to take chemistry next year. And so good luck chemistry. Oh, they might take physics <laughs> also and earth science. So yeah. we're, yeah, we're developing students is what we're doing. So yeah. that's, that's tough because, um, especially as a freshman teacher to, to see the product of what they end with their freshman year and what they, what they know and, and really to, to see the difference. And I think for any teachers listening, this is the frustration is having that spidey sense of what their person's potential is mm. and then seeing that their grade doesn't actually match their potential yeah. because we're grading responsibility uh, rather than like content of stuff yeah. of what they, what they know. And then, you know, I kind of want to grade them the next year and to say, Hey, not, not do you know this stuff, but, but can you do something with what you what you learned? Yeah. I did four years of of science education at in college, hmm. and my first my first time teaching, I felt like I forgot everything. I had to go back to the textbooks. So wow. I mean, I learned bachelor's level science, and I had to go back and read freshman level biology and go, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, those are the parts of cells. Yeah, and so I figure these kids, same same idea. You know, they're gonna they're gonna go a year, and they're not gonna remember everything that I teach them. But if right. they can remember the the ideas and the ways to do things and their thinking and the way they process has changed then i'm happy because yeah. i'm building a foundation and hopefully the foundation of science that they learned in my class they'll move on to to chemistry and then by the time they graduate as young adults they'll be like hey i know how to ask good questions mm. and actually produce an answer with a claim evidence and some reason that's yeah. not dumb that's awesome yeah and, and i think hope, hopefully that's the goal so you're your role, you're not just a teacher, you're a course lead, right? Yes. For biology in particular. Yes. So as a biology teacher, as a course lead in the biology department, I think the, the theological elephant in the room is evolution, the E word. It's almost worse than the F word. Um, so when you teach evolution, like I feel like in the Christian school, there's, there, there's almost like an expectation that like, Yes, you teach it, but then you talk about how it's this evil lie from the devil. <laughs> um, and then obviously there's not that in the in the public school because you can't talk about the devil. Um, but 
like teaching evolution in the, how has that changed for you from the way you taught evolution in the private school versus how you taught it in the public school? I could teach it as the devil there and everyone would be happy <laughs> at private school. Uh, when, when I didn't teach it that way, that's when that's it when got you get in trouble. Crazy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say something that's going to make at least 10 of your subscribers unsubscribe you. Okay. Awesome. Evolution happens. No. Uh, yeah. Well, it does, right? It does. So one of the things that I used to do with my, uh, my private school biology kids is we would just go over, what does it mean with when someone says evolution, what does that actually mm. mean to you? We go over different definitions. Um, we would actually go over Genesis accounts hmm. in in that. I, I don't go over Genesis accounts in my biology classroom now, right? But I still go through. What do people mean when they say evolution? Yeah. And and what was so great is I have a senior that's working with me this year. He says I don't really remember a lot of things from your class. And I'm hmm. like that's okay. Like you're a smart kid, and so I'm hoping that I had something to do with your smartness. He said I just remember the one thing that you told me that changed me was that evolution is not an entity. It doesn't go around and zap things into change. Hmm. And I was like, you know what? If you learned one thing, that was the thing to yeah. learn. So thank you. Especially because I feel like a lot of the, a lot of times that that's what it's like. We've in some circles, God has just been replaced with evolution. Yeah. Evolution um, is deified. Yeah. It's like this other, other being that like magically causes speciation events. You get wings. Yes. All right. <laughs> I got wings. I better procreate. What that? Oh, hope it's a dominant gene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously the teaching has to be different. I, mm -hmm. I approach it where, uh, I mean, I teach. I teach it. It, it exists. Yeah. Uh, just not not at the level. It doesn't seem like there's enough evidence to, to persuade me that it happens at the level where there have been different species that have come from existing species. I'm, I'm not convinced of that. So what, like, oh, so what... I guess for the sake of our listeners who are not evolution savvy, like what are some of the different ways that people misunderstand or like the different definitions of evolution that like common people come to you with? I usually have a PowerPoint for this. Awesome. Um, so evolution just means change over time. Okay. So people evolve. We talk about how the classroom has evolved over time, that they are you know, less squirrely than the first day of school. Um, a lot of times we talk about the difference between micro and macro evolution. What I described earlier was macro evolution. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some super smart person who's listening to this and be like, that guy is not saying it right. So super <laughs> smart people, I apologize to you. I just teach high school. It's all the <laughs> level that I need to know. Uh, and so we talk about uh, how minor changes, mm -hmm. polymorphisms essentially is what they're called, like small changes within gene populations that can lead to differences in skin tone, in wing size, in eye color, things like that, versus uh, somehow there was an adaptation that was so beneficial that then ultimately over time it changed into a different species. I will confess right now, it's confessions of a high school yes. science teacher today. Yeah, I do go over modes that could... That, that could have done that. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's part of the curriculum to do that. I, I actually, I thought that maybe I would feel bad about doing that, but I don't, it's there. They, I don't want to be surprised when they get into a college class and they're like, yeah. we never learned this. Right. Uh, I present everything as this is like, we need evidence for all this stuff. This mm -hmm. is how it could. I use the right. word could a lot yeah. with that. I don't get flack for that. My department chair is a Christian. My other course, uh, fellow biology teachers are as well. Yeah. So we, I mean, that's, that's super nice to do that. Right. Um, and then even at the district level, we'll come up with like test questions. I will question how their evolution questions are inconsistent. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, I, I, I teach the things that I need to, and yeah. I, I add could a lot. Right. And we have questions. A lot of them have questions. Uh, how could this have happened? If blank is true, right. and I have kids in the back, pretty sure it's Jesus that did all that. Yeah, and I'm like, probably. What'd you say? What? <laughs> well, okay. So, what do you do about? So, there's evolution in like speciation events, or just like changes in like wing size, as you mentioned. But what about? I, I'm totally foreign to this field as far as like what's taught in the science classroom, but like abiogenesis or common ancestry, like is that stuff? like stuff that comes up in your science class is that stuff that you teach is that yeah like and if so how does it come up and how do you teach it or when we talk about common ancestry so this is part of the deal where i go through like six different definitions and common ancestry is in, in a couple of them and it's probably the way that i present it in like a very cynical way so it's definitely um yeah i don't know if there's like a evolution police but i would i would probably get arrested for that Got it. um but the way that i talk about it the kids are kind of they don't they don't believe it. Yeah. And like I said, I don't know if it's because of the way that I am presenting it or they're just smart and they're like, that just doesn't seem like yeah. that could happen. And I know they, there's answers to like their questions like, how come alligators would still exist if something came from an alligator? I'm like, yeah, someone answered that. They're, I don't know if it's a good answer or not, but it's not something that burdens me. So right. I'm okay with that. But yeah, they, they have lots of questions. Um, the biggest misconception that I try to correct, and so I don't, have, I don't even have time for going through some of those harder questions. Well, they're not asking hard questions at that point um, for common ancestry and things like that. They just don't understand adaptation. Hmm. And so I think there is a, 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 mis, a misunderstanding of adaptation, maybe by people just at large, that it just ha it, like the, it's, it's intentional. Hmm. And so like we talk about how you, like, people don't decide to adapt. You, yeah. you have it. And then like different adaptations may or may not be beneficial. Yeah. And so they just think that like, no, that thing had to adapt. And I know this because of the multiple assessments that I give where there's like, it had to adapt. I'm like, Oh, you still don't get it. So I'll, I'll correct. And like talk about, don't leave the room with your preconceived notions and looking back yeah. and they're like, yeah, that thing had to adapt in order to, Oh, <laughs> so because the evolution monsters zapped it. Yeah. The yeah. cloud of evolution zapped it. Yes. Awesome. Um, okay. So, when like you've you've shifted into this new mode of teaching and you're you're teaching i mean in the in the christian school theoretically you're teaching the same stuff like science is science yeah. right it like asking good questions and looking for answers for them are that's like that's a thing that doesn't matter whether you're government funded or funded by clients um but w are there any things are there any things that you miss about christian school and then like the my follow-up question naturally is going to be, are there things that you don't miss, but we'll get there. <laughs> are there, are there any things that you miss about teaching in a private Christian school versus where you are now um, that, that you don't get to experience now as a public school teacher? Not really. Not as a science teacher. Yeah. Uh, I think I miss teaching Bible more than I miss teaching science. Yeah. If I missed anything, it is the idea. Like I said, I think at the beginning of, Hey kids, look at this. God is so great for allowing us to, to learn through all of this stuff yeah. and like discover his wonder all the time. Yeah. Um, but I can say things like that. Yeah. I just don't attribute it to God necessarily. Right. And uh, theoretically, the students do. Yeah. And so theoretically, if you've done your job well of teaching them those, I guess those critical thinking skills, then like by putting out the beauty of the universe, then like that dot would be like a really quick, like, Oh, we, like the students already have the data that it's pretty awesome. And then it would just be like one little 
tiny jump over to being like, if they believe in a God. If I told them God invented Snapchat, they would be believers immediately. <laughs> the wonder of Snapchat. And for yes. the guys, I would say, and God also had his hand in Fortnite and yes. they would be like, where yep. do I go to church? Yes. Yeah. So Awesome. Okay. So uh, um, what are some things you don't miss about Christian school? Teaching or, or all things? All things. Yeah, I, I think that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about is like how it changed on the faculty level as well. But um, yeah, so what... Okay, that, that I will say that's one thing that is double-edged sword that I miss. Um, you know, I was close to some people at the, the at Christian school, so I miss that. But I'm also close to, to a lot of coworkers that I have now. Uh, and what's interesting is I, I thought God had me going into public school for student ministry, and I would say that it, it is actually probably more faculty ministry. Huh. Um, and so it's interesting that I am close to people that I'm close to. I just, our personalities don't necessarily mesh. Some of them they mm. do and it's great. And we'll have deep conversations about life in the universe and God. And they're just, some of them are like, Hey, wow. Yeah. Like I didn't know that about you. And I'm like, dang. Um, <laughs> or they'll say something like, yeah, I assumed, I assumed that like I talked to one person once had him over and he was like, yeah, I totally knew that you were a Christian. Hmm. And I was like, yes. What was it? And he's like the beard. No, I'm kidding. I have a beard at that point. <laughs> um, so it's interesting dealing with faculty and it, you know, people are people. And so it's not like you're going to get along with everybody all right. the time. So there's always going to be some conflict, but I don't know. I just, I like, I like my staff that I deal with mm. now and, and how I get to interact with them and be Jesus for, for some of them. Yeah. Um, are there any things about, I guess, Christian school in particular that you're like now that you're, I, okay. So when you're in Christian school, it's like a weird scenario because you can like critique it to a certain extent, but you can't go too far because then you'll lose your job. Um, True. But and your hope. Yeah. <laughs> but then like outside of Christian school, like so now that you're a quote unquote outsider, are there like some prophetic words that you could speak into Christian school, um, whether it has to do with science or just even like the way that Christian school operates? Because um, I feel like that's kind of what's at the heart of the okay, what do you not miss is mm -hmm. like, theoretically it should be, okay, well, if it's bad stuff about Christian school, we should, we should probably work on changing it. Right. So now that you've been out of the a whole different podcast, right? Yeah, here. I'm sure. Um, but if, you had, here too. if you had a couple of nuggets uh, of truth to speak into Christian school, to speak into um, that particular context, um, what would be some of those things that you were like, here are things that I don't miss that, that could change or should change. Um, my administration trusts me to do the best and they always assume that I am trying my best mm. and doing the best thing. It did not always seem like that was the case at yeah. Christian school. I think sometimes it's the opposite where administration assumes that you need some sort of help or training or something. Mm. Whereas if we want training now, we can ask for it and some teachers don't. Right. Um, but they always assume best intentions. Now, granted, even though they're assuming best intentions, there are some teachers who they find are not giving their best intentions. Right. And so there's investigations and we have a union and things like that. And so it's the safety of my job is huge. Like mm -hmm. I am protected. Um, a bunch of parents could rally and say, hey, we don't like that Mr. Robinson guy. And they would look at my paperwork and say, but he's gotten rave reviews on all of his evaluations and he has a union yeah. and so nothing's going to change yeah. where I feel like as uh, investors in public school, you get a bunch of parents together like, Hey, we got money and we don't like this person. And they say, Hey, well the paperwork says that it's good. And they just look and they say, we'll consider that next year for funding purposes. Got then it. they have something to, th there's power in that. Right. And that's in private school, right? 
Yes. I think you said public that, school. No, that's not public school. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no. I do wish public school parents would be um, more involved yeah. as much as in the Christian school. I wish the parents were less involved. Yeah. So just a balance. So as a parent, I try, my, my kids are in private school. Yeah. And so I try to be the balanced parent that I wish that I had dealt with mm. and would have now. Yeah. You want more? Yeah. I got a whole list. Let me pull <laughs> this up. This is on my, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest is the, the trust. Mm. And I would say teachers be your best, like yeah. get, do, get the trainings that you, that you can, um, and, and learn just just keep learning yeah and realize that you're making a difference in students lives maybe not this year but have perspective on so many things their age their developmental capabilities uh, their family life that is another thing I think that as a Christian school teacher we were just like they're all Christians they all right. love Jesus and yeah families are cool because most of our families are like we're great we're fine yeah. nothing's wrong here we're now uh, we have so many interventions in place for our students. Mm. We have a, a licensed clinical social worker that's there. We have whole child on campus. We have guidance counselors. We have actual uh, marriage and family therapists on campus. We wow. have so many interventions because we don't assume that they're fine. Yeah. We don't assume that they're not fine. We just realize that like, hey, these kids are kids. Yeah. We should not treat them like they're at the collegiate level and expect that they're going to go home and do two hours of homework every night for every class. We should treat them like they're 14 and have the perspective that, hey, if I did four years of college training in science and still look at a book, they're probably going to be OK. Right. So, yeah. And that's my thing. They're probably going to be OK. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> that's like that's like the life motto. Um, that's your life motto. <laughs> yeah, it is. It'll probably <laughs> be fine. Um, and, and I feel like even, even that trust piece that you were talking about, um, I think what with the benefit of trust, what it does is it gives the teacher the freedom to teach as opposed to preserving one's own job or preserving one's own livelihood. Because then you can like redirect your efforts from like trying to look like you're doing the right thing to just doing the thing that you think is the right thing to do. Um, yeah, because maybe when they think that you should have added a certain supplemental element there, you're like, but listen, you're the professional in charge person, but I'm the professional doing the science job, doing yeah. the history job, doing the math job that yeah. trust me to do the things that I have trained to do. And like I said, if you're not trained to do it, then get, get training to do those things yeah. and, and keep learning to, so that you at least on paper look like you're doing, like, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And so if you are admin and you're listening to this, then um, then maybe working on some of that that trust and, and some of that um, intentionality and maybe not even like blind trust, but like building into your staff a culture that says we want you to do the best job that you have possible, not for the sake of our clients, but for the sake of, of the kids, for the sake of their own learning, for the sake of their own growth. Um, and, and then for those of you who are teachers, I feel like if if you are in the Christian school and you have a classroom filled with clients um, and not a classroom filled with students, then maybe adjust that lens um, to to develop and to grow and and work on your own instructional practice so that um, kids are learning, so that kids are are learning those important skills so that they can be successful in life, even if they don't um, remember all of the details uh, of what you've been trying to teach them. Yeah, um, coach. Yeah, admin. If you've never coached, coach a sport. Yeah. Step down for a couple years, coach a sport. Uh, coach your teachers. Coach yeah. the staff. 
don't just manage issues. You're going to have to as an admin uh, put out fires now and then. But if you coach your staff and coach them up as opposed as opposed to uh, break them down, then you are going to have a staff that trusts you and wants to work for you. And if they're not doing the, the job they're supposed to do with integrity, then you coach them up. Let it happen. Not to the point where you don't ever let teachers go if they're not doing their job. But if you're not coaching them to get to them to a place where you want them to be, then and you're just saying, why aren't you like this? Hmm. That's bad. But on the same token, how many teachers do the same thing? Right. So I would say teachers, same thing. Coach your kids. Uh, get them to the spot where they need to. Mm-hmm. Don't assume that they have resources to everything you think they do. Don't don't assume they have prior knowledge for everything. Coach them up to that place that you want to go. Uh, private school, I, I kind of miss the, the small class sizes. It was easier to coach. Right. That's for sure. Um, I, I like my, my class sizes around 30, 32. Unfortunately, most of them are around 38, 40. So mm. some of those kids kind of get lost sometimes without that magic number. Um, but that's my favorite part about just teaching is the, the coaching part. Yeah. They, s- students will have a hard time with it because they trust their coaches. If yeah. you're a basketball coach and you say, hey, you are doing wrong things, do 10 pushups. They're like, okay, coach, because they get that you're trying to make them better. Right. Uh, they do have a hard paradigm shift as far as that same mentality in the classroom. And so I try to explain to them, I'm, I'm here to coach you. Yeah. I'm here so that when I push you, it's to make you a, a better student, a better person, and so that you're prepared for the next game that we're going to do. And they're just like, you're BSing us, Robinson. Yeah. You just want us to pass a test. I'm like, I do want you to pass a test because you're going to get a good grade. Yeah. Colleges care about your numbers. Yeah. And so I guess for all those listening out there, coach, I think that's a good takeaway point. Whether you're admin coaching your faculty or if you're faculty coaching your kids or if you're even if you're parents coaching mm-hmm. your kids. Right. Because you're the origin of their preconceived notions that they bring into the classroom. And so if we if we can become good coaches and I feel like part of being good coaches is being good doers. Right. So whether it's doing good thinking or doing good theology or doing good science. You got to have a whistle too. Yeah, um, and then bring your whistle um, and, and coach people into some good, healthy, lifelong growth, um, hopefully, which then leads them to Jesus. Um, whether they're in the public school or the private school, um, coach them good. That's the point. All Leave right. Them with Jesus. Lord. Peace. Peace. Peace.